Well, it is a week after Easter, a lot taking place in the life of our church, and I want to thank uh, everyone who uh, helped over Easter weekend with uh, the Saturday outreach event, and then, of course, on, uh, on Sunday morning, it was a wonderful weekend, and we're really uh, still, still thinking back and enjoying all that, that took place in the life of our church. Maybe you've also heard that uh, we have a meeting today about the contract on the Ellisville property. Jordan mentioned that at the beginning of the service. Please come if you're able. I, I hope that, uh, it, it's strange to say this in the middle of April, I hope the weather isn't so bad that it will keep us from having this meeting. So please come uh, today at 4 o'clock uh, for an important meeting. Also, we'll be uh, pre, uh, presenting the uh, draft of the governing documents, as he said. And so uh, please come uh, this evening. We'll be meeting in the chapel. Well, as I get started this morning, I want to begin by, by telling you a little uh, account that goes back to the life of Billy Graham. Of course, uh, we, uh, we lost uh, uh, Reverend Graham uh, recently. He went uh, to be with the Lord, but what a life of impact this man had. In fact, it was uh, several years ago that his town of Charlotte, North Carolina, wanted to have a special uh, banquet, a luncheon actually, to recognize him and to honor him. And he was a little hesitant about going to something, and, and they, uh, they, they went back to him again and said, look, we're not asking you to speak. We just want to make some statements about your life and thank you for the way that, that you have impacted our community and, and frankly, the world. And, and so he, he finally decided that he would go. And uh, he, he, uh, he showed up uh, to, the, to the banquet, and uh, he started uh, by, by reminding, uh, saying that he was reminded of the great physicist Albert Einstein, uh, who had been named uh, not all that uh, long before he went there to be the uh, Time Magazine Man of the Century. And he told a story about Einstein. He said Einstein was uh, once traveling from Princeton on a train. The conductor went through the car, the train car, and was punching everyone's ticket. And he got to Albert Einstein, and he asked for his ticket, and he checked his vest, and he couldn't find it. Checked the pockets of his pants, and he couldn't find it. He checked the seat. He checked his briefcase. He could not find his ticket. And the conductor just chuckled and said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. In fact, we all know who you are, and I'm, I'm sure you have a ticket. It's, it's really okay. And so the guy moved on down the train, and as he was walking back, through the car again, he, he saw Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking under his seat and still trying to find that ticket. And he, he, he was a little embarrassed that he was going to so much effort. And he said, Mr. Dr. Einstein, please, please get, get back in your seat. It's, it's, it's really okay. This is not a problem. You don't have to worry. I don't need to see your ticket. I'm sure you bought one. I know who you are. And Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. <laughs> Having said that, Billy Graham then said, do you see the suit that I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My grandchildren tell me that as I've gotten older that my dress has gotten a little sloppy. So I went out and I bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? The suit that I'm wearing is the suit that I'll be buried in. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to re immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to only remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I am going. Today, I'd like to address a topic that just about every believer will deal with at some point in their Christian journey, the assurance of salvation. Have you ever been there? laying awake at night, wondering if the faith that you have 
is enough? If the faith that you have is genuine? Have you ever looked back and and thought through the years at that first point in which you became a believer and ever wondered or worried if you were sincere? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How do I know for sure that I'm saved? I can look back and remember as a, uh, as a child trusting in the Lord. And uh, I can remember that there were some people in my life that, that really were, were helping disciple me. And they, they encouraged me to keep a, a prayer journal. And so I had this little notebook of, of prayer, prayers that I would write in as a sixth grader. I'd, I'd pray them at night. And there was one prayer that I would pray every single night. You know what prayer that was? The sinner's prayer. You ever prayed it? Have you ever heard it? I would pray it over and over again. Why? Because I at times would wonder, maybe the last time I prayed it, I really didn't say it right. Or maybe the last time I prayed it, I I didn't have the right faith or the right belief. And so we're talking about eternity, right? Even as a sixth grader, heaven and hell, this was something that was really important to me. So I thought, I'll just pray it one more time just to be sure. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, what happens to us when our, when our faith wavers like that? It, it, it's difficult for us to really progress in our Christian maturity because we feel very stuck in where we are. And in fact, even worried if we're where we need to be. And so this morning in the series Begin Again that we started last week, last week we were primarily thinking about what it means to have new life in Christ, that He is the way. If life looks like we're in checkmate and there's no other answers, there is the answer that comes from Christ. We looked at that last week. Today, I'd like for us in that same light to get back to the basics of our faith, to understand what it means to have assurance of faith. And I hope today that there will be some among us that if you have been facing this doubt Maybe it is something that has crippled you, either in the past or or maybe currently, that there will be some biblical reasons today that you can have assurance of faith. And so we'll look at it carefully from Scripture, uh, but I also know that I'm putting my oar into a very big sea, right? There's a lot in this topic of assurance of salvation. In fact, books have been written on the topic, and there is uh, one that I want to... Uh, reference from the very beginning. I've got three or four quotes from it in the message this morning. And if it's, uh, if this is a topic that resonates with you, or if you have a a friend or a child or a grandchild that has expressed to you that they, they have uh, worry about their faith, the book that I would recommend is this one. I'll put a picture of it, ask the guys to put a picture of it on the screen. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. That's kind of a catchy title, I know, but it says how to know for sure you are saved. And he's not against people asking Jesus in their heart, right? We, we are for that. But what he's saying is that there are some ways within the Bible that we can look to see that our faith is sure. And so uh, J.D. Greer, G-R-E-E-A-R, is the author. Uh, I've, I've read the book and recommend it to you. And uh, uh, again, I have a few quotes from it as well. For today, I'm going to address four questions, and I'm going to go through them uh, quickly. And, uh, and uh, uh, if, if there are any other topics or uh, uh, thoughts that come up that you would like to talk more deeply about as we go through this, I would be honored to talk with you. Either after the service, you could drop by the starting line, you could catch me this week, 
uh, I would love to talk with you about this because to, to live life and not know for sure about eternity, to not have that kind of assurance that Billy Graham was speaking of that day uh, is, is not only hard, it's not, what, it's not what God wants for us. God wants us to be able to have assurance of our faith. And we're going to look. There are a number of Scripture verses that give us those parameters that we can look at and that we can, that we can seek to understand, see how they apply to our own journey of faith. And Lord willing, come out with, with great assurance, even the assurance that we have been singing about this morning, that we are secure in Christ. Well, here are the four questions. The first one is, what causes doubt of salvation? That's where we'll start. Next, we'll move to what is necessary to be saved. I touched a lot on this last week, but I do want to mention it again. Number three, what is biblical evidence of genuine faith? Because there are times that we can look for evidence, we can look for feelings, we can look for things that, that, that may not be real, genuine evidence. And so we're going to look at the biblical evidence. And finally, we'll close by asking, how can assurance of faith be strengthened? And as I said, four big questions, right? And so we're going to have to move pretty quick through it. But, uh, but if you have other thoughts or concerns, I would be honored to talk with you. Well, why? Uh, <clears throat> what is the cause for one to doubt salvation? What causes these doubts? What causes the worry? What causes the anxiety? I'm going to give you what I think are five answers. There could be more. I'm sure that there are. But there, there are five that I want us to, to briefly touch on. The first one is the neglecting of God's Word. When we neglect God's Word in our lives, our faith doesn't grow. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so over the years, I've been reminded that if my faith is weak, I need to ask myself, Am I in the Word? Because if I'm not in the Word, my faith is being starved. My Christian growth is being starved. And so always going back to the Word and to prayer and saying, that's what I need if my faith is struggling. Am I neglecting God's Word? That's one uh, possible reason that someone may be doubting their faith. Secondly, when we forget gospel promises, maybe your salvation at times is doubted because you forget what the gospel teaches. Um, there are times that we, that we, we forget that, that the gospel is a gospel of grace, that it's solely God's work, not ours. And so if we are, if we are struggling in life and we're wondering if, if, we're, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, we may, we may begin to think whether or not we're truly saved. And what that is, is that's, that may be an unhealthy reliance upon what I'm doing, as opposed to the settled work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, we're going to look at this topic again, because it's also something that can give us assurance when we see the progression of our faith in the, in the, the way in which we live. But it, it, so it, it, it can really be the answer to both sides. But the first one that I want us to think of is that if we forget and we get into this performance-based mindset instead of a grace-based mindset, we may uh, be giving too much merit on what we are doing and not what Christ has already done. So we go back to the beginning. We go back to the basics of understanding that it's by faith and by grace that we've been saved not by works. Number three, 
Another reason is that we could trust feelings above facts. And so we know that our, that our hearts can deceive us. We know that our feelings, our emotions can go up and down, can't they? Even, even spiritually, we can, we can have emotions going up and down. And, and, and if we just look to the emotion and we look to the feeling, uh, we may be anxious a lot about whether we're saved. And those are times that we have to go back to what we know, not necessarily what we feel. The feelings should follow the knowledge. The feelings should follow the facts and not the other way around. In fact, Scripture doesn't point us to our feelings. In fact, there are, uh, uh, there are many statements that talk about the truth of the gospel, the, the, uh, the accomplishment that Christ did. We look to that and we allow our feelings to follow the truth rather than the other way around because as emotional creatures... Our emotions can go all over the place, can't they? And some of us struggle with that more than others, don't we? And we just have to recognize that and go back to the truth and the facts. In fact, in his book, J.D. Greer says, Imagine three men walking in a line on top of a wall, a narrow city wall. The first one in the line is named Fact. The second one is named Faith. And the third one is named Feeling. And so you get the idea. He says the wall is narrow. They have to pay careful attention to where they're stepping. Feelings, eyes are on faith, and faith's eyes are on fact. If that's happening, all is fine. But the moment that the one in the middle, who is faith, turns around and looks at feeling, both of them could fall off of the wall. What's the point? Feelings are to be the fruit of one's faith. They should never be the source in fact, in his book, J.D. Greer says, don't feel your way into your beliefs. Believe your way into your feelings. And so truth, the facts are preeminent. Things follow and flow out of that, both in faith and then finally in our feelings. A fourth reason, when sin is allowed to take us captive, and maybe there have been times in your life where you've doubted your faith because sin is, is, is very prevalent in a particular season or in a particular way. And when sin begins to do this, it, uh, it can cause us to doubt whether we uh, have truly been saved. Now, this, again, is a tricky one because even though we have been saved, we've been washed, we've, whatever word you want to put in, we've been born again, doesn't mean that we're perfect, Right? We still struggle with that sinful nature, don't we? Don't we? Okay, a few of us still do. I was beginning to wonder there for a minute. Because uh, I know that I do. Struggle with that sinful nature. In fact, Paul spoke of it in Romans chapter 7. This battle against the flesh and against the spirit. And so we know that that's happening. And so when we come to faith in Christ, it's not perfection. But there is a, a progression of growth. And yet there's still this fighting against sin. Martin Luther had a Latin phrase that he would use that is, that is really, really important for us to understand. Simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator. And some of those words, if, you, if we have them for the, on the screen, may be familiar to you. You look at simul. It's where we get the word simultaneous, right? At the same time. Justice or justice, the word that we get for just 
or made right or righteous. And then the word et is and, and then peccator is, is the Latin word for sinner. And so Martin Luther was trying to say that at the same time, our position is that we are just, we've been declared righteous, and yet we're still a what? A sinner. That's, that's our condition. Remember, remember the Exodus series. Moving out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, not yet to the promised land, and in the wilderness, right? We looked at that. That's our journey now. We're still sinners, but yet we've been declared righteous. So there's that struggle, and that at times is that old sinful nature that is there that can even cause us to struggle with our faith. Now, I know some people say, well, what about someone who backslides? Again, very tricky, because don't we all backslide? We all, we all fall short of God's glory, even after we've been saved. There are thoughts, there are actions, there are words that displease the Lord. And so trying to say, okay, well, then you begin saying, well, what we're talking about is someone that's in a backslidden condition for a long period of time. And I would say, well, how long is that? Is that a month? Is it three months? Is it three years? Is it, is it 30 years? What does that mean to be in a backslidden condition? And the Bible doesn't give a range of time. And so obviously there's concern if someone who once was following Christ is now living in a pattern of disobedience, right? Now, is it possible that they're saved and living in disobedience? Yes. But is it also possible that their faith in the beginning wasn't genuine? Yes. And so that's why we have to go not to feelings, but we have to dig in to the Word of God to see what it is that is to be there that gives us biblical assurance. We'll get to that point in just a minute. But the fifth and final reason that I want to give you this morning that we sometimes, or people sometimes, doubt their faith is the obvious one. Their faith at the beginning was not genuine. And so we can't gloss over that one either. There are those who have come, They've made a statement, maybe prayed a prayer, maybe made an, an outward profession, but it wasn't genuine. It was like that seed. Remember the parable of the seeds where the seed sprang up and then quickly went away. It wasn't, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't lasting. So uh, the Apostle John spoke in his epistle, 1 John 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they, not, they, they, they were not of us. And so there were examples in the New Testament of people that, that drew near for a season, but then, then they faded out. It wasn't genuine from the beginning. J.D. Greer in his book says, Faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. I'll say that again. Faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. And so this type of doubt, if someone's doubting in, in this situation here, may be the kindness of God leading them back, but this time to a genuine commitment. And so sometimes when we see the doubt, it's a way of bringing us to repentance and to belief. So again, I know there could be a lot of other statements. Maybe you have other reasons on why you struggle or have struggled in the past with the assurance of salvation, but those are some common ones that we need to, to, to look at. Leads us to the next question. Not only what causes doubt, but what is necessary to be saved? According to the Word of God, belief in the gospel, belief in Christ, and repenting of sin. This, this is all together in our, our confession of faith. That we would believe 
that Christ is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do and that we understand who he is and who we are. When we understand that, that Christ is, is a sinless Savior and that, that he died on the cross for, uh, for the sin of the world, specifically my sin, he was in my place. We looked at this a few weeks ago, the idea of, a, of substitutionary atonement, one person taking the place for another, that it also is a confession that I'm a sinner and that I need to be forgiven. And so this is all part of that confession. John 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we see that there are two ways, either in Christ or not. Mark chapter 1, speaking of what John the Baptist said after he was arrested and Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, this idea of belief, repenting of sin and believing. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I know we talked a lot about this last week, but let me just in summary say people either believe God as he's revealed himself in Christ or they don't. Now, they may be in the process of, of coming to belief and, and trying to seek to understand, but it's, it's one or the other. Belief and repent, repentance. And if we believe and we understand that God has put our sin on Christ, that means that Christ's righteousness is also credited to us. It works both ways. The exchange works both ways. He takes our sin and he pays the penalty for it. And God credits us with His righteousness so that we can, can know Him and dwell with Him. If someone is, is, is struggling about whether or not it was sufficient, it would be as if they were saying that they have to pay twice for their sins. That Jesus, His, pen, his payment wasn't enough. It would be like going to the store and, and having your parent, your father, let's say, pay for uh, for, for uh, a shirt, and then after you leave, you say, oh, i got to pay for this shirt. Well, it's already been paid for. That's what Christ did. He paid for the sins. Sins of the world specifically applied to those who have repented and believed. That's what we've read here in the Bible this morning. In fact, let me read one other passage from Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then continuing to verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. J.D. Greer says in his book, Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. It's not the works that save someone. We're saved at the beginning. When we repent and believe, we are saved. We have crossed over from death to life. Or as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that happens at that point. And then throughout life, we are growing in that grace, growing in our understanding and maintaining that faith until we reach the promised land. Third question this morning. We've looked at what causes doubt We've looked at what's necessary to be saved. Third, what is biblical evidence of genuine faith? Now we're getting to the crux. 
of the, uh, of, the, uh, of, of the topic this morning. What is the biblical evidence? Because the Bible does speak to us about the assurance of faith. And so we are not uh, meant to live crippled and wondering about whether or not we have a, a, a place secure in heaven. There are ways that we are to know. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So Paul's saying here, there is a way to know. There's evidence that can, that can lead someone to an understanding about whether they are in the faith. And so uh, let's, let's think of this morning some words from the Apostle John. And we looked at this passage recently. It's at the end of his, of his gospel, John chapter 20. He says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We looked at the account last week of Mary Magdalene earlier in this chapter, and we, 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 we referenced how she had been born again, how she had been made new in Christ. And he's, he's saying, Now all of this has been shared. All of this has been told to you so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. He goes on and he writes three letters known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John found near the end of the New Testament. And if there is one biblical book that you would want to spend some time in thinking about the assurance of salvation, it is this book, only five chapters long, and it deals directly with with the assurance of salvation. We'll pull a little bit from it as we move uh, through this this morning. But here's what he writes in chapter 5, verse 13. Again, of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. This is a verse that I probably referenced more than any other in the years that we lived in Athens, Greece. We were serving with the International Mission Board and, and we were encountering people of various backgrounds and various faith systems to be able to say, there is a way to know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder, have I done enough? Have I said the right thing? It's not a matter of what we've done. It's a matter of what Christ has done. And so this was a, a verse, and it might be one worth writing down, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John wants us to know this. In fact, seven times in his epistle, he uses the phrase, by this we know that. And he goes on and, and talks about knowing him, coming to know him, being in him, abiding in him. He speaks of us having confidence instead of fear when it comes to our faith. So John's hope is that, that those who read his epistle would not be deceived, they wouldn't be fearful, but that they would have confidence in their faith. Let's quickly look at uh, three uh, pieces of evidence of genuine faith, biblical evidence. Again, we're not talking about feelings, we're talking about what the Scripture says, how we can know. And uh, thinking about Paul's uh, verse that we read a minute ago out of 2 Corinthians 13, he, he, he approaches it like it's a test. You know, and we know that there's not a test, there's not an exam, but he's saying that there are things that are present that give evidence that one is walking with the Lord. Here are three pieces of evidence. The first one is 
what I believe, what I believe. This is the theological test, that, that the doctrine is right, that I've embraced the truth, right? This is the idea of, of, uh, of, of, of believing the gospel. 1 John 4, verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So there's the first one. It, it comes down to what one believes. Second piece of evidence the moral test, how I live. And don't misunderstand this one. This one isn't saying that based upon the way you live, you will receive salvation. It's saying those who are saved have been changed, transformed. We were reminded in one of the, the dramas this morning to be transformed, to be living differently. This is 1 John 2. And this, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, we see here the idea of, of following out that faith. The faith that we claim the faith that we profess, that it would be seen being lived out in one's life, that there would be continuity between what we believe and how we live. Now, again, are we speaking of perfection? Are we speaking of perfection? No, we're speaking of progression, of growth. And so, yes, we will. We've already talked about that. There will be a continual struggle with the old nature, but it doesn't, that struggle doesn't also say that we stay as we are. There is to be transformation. And so when we see this growth, and oftentimes we can see it in others, I could give you countless stories of people who I've seen who have come to faith in Christ, and wow, has their life radically been transformed. And I'm sure you've, you've been able to, to see that as well. And you see that. Now, it doesn't mean that they're per perfect, uh, perfect, but it means that they have been saved and you see the new life that is coming through them. Very quickly, third, the social test, how I treat others. Now, again, it's not saying that you will be saved because of how you treat people. It's saying that when you are saved and when Christ is living in you, there will be a certain way that you treat people. Here's what he says. First John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we do what? Love the brothers. Love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And so again, it's telling us that there is a change a change in the way that we, that, we, that we treat others, the love of Christ flowing through us. So what, how do we put something like this into practice? Let me just say it this way. If we continually struggle with loving one another, if there is an issue there, that, that's a red flag. If we continually are breaking God's commands and not living according to the Word, that's, that's a red flag. doesn't necessarily mean that we're not saved. But it is something that's, that, that, that comes up to say, look, 
We need to, we need to look at this. We need to address it. But it also could mean very well that, that we have not been saved. And so that's why First John was written, first of all, to give the comfort and the assurance that these are things that you're seeing in your life, what you believe, how you live, how you treat others. Dear children, John writes, because of these things, you should be encouraged to know that life is in you. So that's the first way to approach these verses. The second one would be, okay, I'm not seeing this evidence. That's where we then look back to what it means to truly be saved, if indeed we're lacking the evidence. Now, I need to wrap up. I know we're out of time. But let me say a couple things, and you'll also see this theme addressed in the book. Um, the Bible gives both warnings and promises, right? Here's what could happen today that I don't want to have happen. For those who truly know the Lord and they hear these warnings, they could misapply them and then all of a sudden say something like, gee, I didn't have a lack of assurance until, until I heard Ryan today, you know. Now, now I'm really worried. That's not the point today, right? That's not the point. The warnings out of Scripture are meant to be for those that really need them. And, a, and a, when, you, when you're in a position when you need a warning, that's a loving thing, isn't it? I mean, if the tornado's coming and the warning's going, someone that cares about us is giving us the warning. So the Bible gives us warnings, but it also gives us promises and assurances. Now, again, if someone's not really in Christ, I don't want them walking out of the door saying, well, Ryan sure gave me all these promises and assurances. I'm okay. I'm good. If, if you're really not, I don't, want, I don't want the promises to be what you cling to. So I realize that, that this is a very tricky and tough subject in a, in a large group to speak about. It's much easier one-on-one, -on -one, right? So that's why I'm given some, some very basic general principles, and we'll pray that the Spirit will apply them to each of us. And where we need encouragement, man, may these verses just build us up and help us to move past the doubt. But where we need salvation, may they highlight the fact that maybe, like those mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, we might have said the words, Jesus is Lord, but really not known Him as Lord. And so both things here could happen. How can assurance of faith be strengthened? Very quickly. Pursue spiritual growth. As we said at the very beginning this morning, being in God's Word and praying naturally fuels one's spiritual life. Serve others. Live to, to serve and to help others. That's part of our calling is to, is to, is to be uh, employed in serving others in gospel uh, ministry, variety of capacities. Be a part of the worship service. Come and sing and be engaged in what's happening week after week. And that's part, again, of what strengthens one's spiritual growth. Second one, make every effort to kill sin. We know that that God has saved us from sin, but we also know that if we allow it to stay and we don't fight against it, we get comfortable with it, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt our, our, our faith, cause doubts. And so deal with it. Deal with that sin. Talk to others, number three, about your struggles. Find another believer that you can, you can be open enough with to say, look, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Would you talk with me about it? Would you pray with me about it? Can you tell me what you see in my life so that I can work through this? That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we can come and, and not just have, have a glass of punch together, right? That's, that's, that's very uh, 
uh, a superficial fellowship, right? That's just the beginning. Having, having a cup of coffee together is great, but it's going deeper, talking about the struggles in one's heart and life, the doubts, the challenges. Find others that can walk with you. And as I said at the very beginning of the message, I would be honored to spend time with you talking about this very topic. Number four, posture yourself to hear from God. I remember my days as a youth pastor 20 some odd years ago, taking students to camp and them hearing from the Lord. And it dawned on me what was happening. They get away from all these distractions and think about the distractions now. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, but think about the, the distractions, the online, all of that. It's just a continual bombardment of, uh, you know, of, of, of noise. But getting out of that noise and hearing from the Lord, maybe it's a retreat. Maybe it's turning things off. Maybe it's just an intentional time before anyone else gets up in the morning to really hear from the Lord and to not allow Him to be crowded out. And finally, cling to His promises. Cling to promises, knowing that your salvation is upon His work, His completion of the task that was given to Him. Looking at Psalms like Psalm 4211 that say, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Hope in Him. Cast your eyes to Him as you cling to the promises of His Word. Well, We've opened up a big topic this morning, and I hope that in some way we've been able to settle some things for you. If not, again, I'd love to talk with you more about this, because in the end, listen to me, friends, and I promise I'm done. God wants you. God wants you to have assurance of genuine faith. He doesn't want you to live with those, those crippling doubts. And so if you're there, let us walk with you. Let us pray with you and talk you through some of these challenges. Because I think if we're all honest to one, with one another, at some point in our Christian journey, we've all been there, haven't we? Would you say amen? amen. All right, at least half of us have been there. At least half of us. The rest of might be there someday, so this is probably worth knowing. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. And then, uh, again, I would love to meet you at the starting line. If you have any other questions, let us know. Even the Connect card, you can put on the box there that you want to uh, follow up, and we'll, we'll talk with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we've looked at a lot of it this morning, a lot of different verses. Father, I pray that we're not overwhelmed by the magnitude, but that you, as only your Spirit can, take those pieces and drive them into us in such a way to deepen our faith, to help us be equipped in those times when the adversary would seek to cause us to be anxious or fearful about our faith. God, I pray that you will strengthen it. And Father, I also want to pray that if there are any among us today that don't have a genuine faith in you, that today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where they are born again, coming to you and being made new in an instant. So God, we pray for your salvation to come upon those today who really need that. We thank you for this worship service, for the times that we've been able to sing and pray and, and be encouraged through creative ministry. And we pray now that you will use the offering that's given. And God, may you receive it. It's for you. 
These tithes and offerings are for you and for your glory. We pray that you'll bless them now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.